Another Monday, you know what that means. It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. <laughs> this week, I know, it's funny. This week's <laughs> <That's> our <laughs> <party>. <laughs> special guest star, Mr. Doug Fenske. Hello, everyone. And I Carly. <laughs> oh, man. We stop at nothing to do great production. Absolutely. All right, uh, all things are good. I guess it's a little hot. Let me get the chat room open and we shall proceed. Hello, everybody in the chat room. Um, we're a little bit of a distance from the camera today or from the screen, so we may not be able to see all this stuff um, as well as we'd like, but we will do a Q&A period at the end of the show. But Doug works at, he's a, the director of education at Create Music Academy in West Hollywood, and um, it's on the campus of Westlake Recording Studios, which are legendary. Mm -hmm. I mean, top five studio on the planet kind of studio. Absolutely. So uh, I'm always excited to come down here. And Doug was at the Road Rally last year. First of all, we did one of these last August, and then he came and joined me on a panel uh, about production um, and working in home studios uh, last November at the Road Rally, cool. and uh, he did great. So uh, today we're going to talk about the single most important thing you need to know in the studio. and. Uh, when you hear about it, you'll go, wow, you know, I never thought of that. But it is really, really important because you can get everything else right. And if you get that wrong, you're kind of screwed. Mm -hmm. So the big secret is we're going to talk about... Drum roll? Uh, <laughs> you got oh, a drum roll? I, oh, man, I didn't bring the right box with me. Uh, That'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Definitely not that. And the answer is... Gain staging. Gain staging and making sure that things are properly recorded at their electrical levels that we need to be able to control. And, and I know that sounds exciting as hell to you. Gain really? staging? <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm going to go to my... Oh, actually, before I go to my notes, I'm going to do this early in the show so I don't forget. If you <laughs> are watching this on YouTube, don't forget the little red subscribe button in the lower right-hand portion of the screen. And be a deer. <laughs> give us a little love, will you? Or a like. Okay, I've done that. Um, okay, so one of the reasons I like having Doug on the show is that he's a great teacher. He's not, um, he can do the technical stuff, but he presents it in such a way that it's not scary. Uh, that, that's kind of the whole theory behind what you guys do Absolutely here at, at Create Music Academy. And I was really impressed with that when I met these guys and heard good stuff at the Road Rally about them. So he's my uh, my gain staging guru <laughs> because of that. So explain to them why gain staging matters and kind of what can happen if you don't get it right. Okay. Well, um, the gain staging may seem like a scary term, but basically what it means is that we're we're adding electrical level in different places of of, of the recording path that we'll talk about. We're adding the proper amount of it, right? So we're making sure that we're not adding too much, let's call it juice for now. We're not adding too much juice on a mic pre in order to distort something, or we're not putting enough of whatever it is we're recording into a plugin and it becomes noisy or too much and distorted. And there's many kind of pitfalls and places that you can go wrong with gain staging because there's input gain staging, which is whatever you're performing going into your DAW. And then there's output gain staging, which is as it's being processed in the DAW, and then it's going to end up exiting, right? First and foremost, as long as you have the input gain staging correct, that's kind of the, the, then we can kind of go from there. Right. But if it's not right going in, it's never going to be right. 
exactly. Um, you know, we've all had this experience, even people who are relatively, maybe especially people who are relatively new to recording, where they're mixing and they're constantly bringing the uh, the master fader down, oh, bringing yeah. down the yes. mix. Because, <laughs> That's uh, the game staging, absolutely. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. It, there's so much cumulative gain yes. that what you're doing is overdriving the output of the console and compensating by bringing right. down the master fader. And right. it just makes it sound which like crap. Which loses frequency response and yeah. it loses the dynamic range. And, and you know, that master fader should always stay at zero dB until we're going to do an automated fade out then at which point yeah we can do an automated fade out but it needs to be at zero until then but the signal has to be controlled until then all right so let's cover a little bit of i know this is way techier than we normally <laughs> um get on taxi tv but this is good stuff and you really should know it uh we get music you know here's a great example we've done taxi tv episodes where we've been listening to um, our members music as part of the show sure. and uh I'll move this over so I can make sure that there we are okay so we will be listening to music and this one's at a normal level that one's at a normal mm -hmm. level and then we get the third one fourth one whatever and it's way lower in volume yeah. clearly somebody just wasn't paying attention not only to their levels in general but probably to their gain staging leading up to that moment absolutely that's the output side of gain staging yeah. so they put themselves at a huge disadvantage mm -hmm. if a music supervisor or an a and r person is listening to other stuff and it sounds full and robust mm -hmm. and the frequency range everything about it sounds great and then all of a sudden you get something sounds kind of wimpy and little and, and you know mm -hmm. not so even great. if it's a great creative piece yeah right yeah. so we need to nurture our creativity right and the only way to nurture the creativity in 2017 is to have a fundamental understanding of technical aspects behind behind the doll. It doesn't mean that we need to be full-blown engineers or techs or whatever it is, but in order to properly nurture that creativity, we have to take be responsible for it. And in order to be responsible for it, we have to have some working knowledge of those kinds of things. And you don't have to be techie-oriented no. to get gain staging, no, right? So you just have to understand what it is. We're gonna. That's <laughs> our point of today's show. I know this is uncharacteristically techie for Taxi mm. TV. That was a, a very alliterative tongue twister. <laughs> uh, but I promise you, if there's anybody that can make gain staging make sense, <laughs> he's sitting right next to me. So, uh, okay, signal flow. Let's. Right. This leads up to gain staging, but mm -hmm. let's talk about, uh, I'm looking at a Fender Squire amp mm -hmm. on the floor. So let's say we've got a guitar coming through that sure. amp. And we want to record it, right? Yeah. So we're okay. going to shove so, a 57 in front of it and take it from there. All right. Well, <clears throat> and well, I think we should talk about more of a home studio, project studio signal flow rather than a big kind of Wesley signal flow, right? They're 80% mm -hmm. the same, but let's kind of customize it to, to what a lot of you guys might be, might be doing at home. So if I put a 57 on a guitar amp, the source is the guitar amp, right? right? That's where the source is coming from, right? The source is going to hit the microphone. And something, the first thing to take into consideration is that not all microphones are equally as sensitive to that guitar amp, right? So if I put a 57 on it, it's going to handle a loud guitar amp, no problem, right? If I put a tube microphone on there, it could break up and distort the microphone very easily. Even some condensers as well. Other condensers hand, handle that kind of signal very well. Um, now, at the microphone, uh, more sensitive microphones can be used to record a loud guitar amp if you use something called a pad. Right. We were talking about this yeah. before. So, so it um, doesn't mean something that's made out of cotton that you tape <laughs> on the microphone. It's an acronym, right? <laughs> it's an acronym. It stands for passive attenuation device. And well, we won't go into what I was right. saying, right? <laughs> but but what it what it does is that it it softens the 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 response of the microphone. 
essentially, so that it, it can record louder signals. Now from, now, now from that microphone, every single microphone has to go into a mic pre, right? There is no exception here. We deal with a lot of gray, right, in, in record production in general, right? Oh, well, this is this, but it could be this, or maybe we can cause it. There is none of that here. This is straight up black and white. Every microphone has to go to a mic pre. Now, the, the, the quality of the mic pre that we use matters arguably even more than the microphone itself, right? Okay. The mic pre on an interface, like let's say, call it, I don't want to speak badly of any of any sort of interface, but let's say a $200 interface, and I plug the 57 into it and turn up the mic pre, that's going to sound very inferior to, say, um, a professional level mic pre from maybe they came from a console. For That's true, but let's put this back in the context of home recording people, um, there are $150 interfaces that I've heard. The Focusrite mm. Red um, doesn't sound as good as an Avalon or, sure. or some of the more right. esoteric stuff that's thousands of dollars. But for the average home studio, can't you find stuff that, you know, it's not Westlake right. Studio. Generally, no, no, generally speaking, yes. And, and there, is a there is a quality difference, which is the point that we need to be aware of, right? Okay. Is that there is a quality difference between mic pre's. Not all mic pre's sound the same, right? right? So with that being said, the mic pre is, is the biggest gain stage out of everything, right? And that's why it's so important to have one that, that, that kind of cuts the mustard, if you will. Um, because that's where we're taking the signal from mic level, because mic level is very, very small. It's just millivolts. It's very small. And we need to amplify that up into something that's called so line level. Barely right? going to get the meter to move right. if at all. Won't even be able to hear it. Yep. So when we do that with the mic pre, we're adding a bunch of gain, right? Now, we don't want to add too much gain because then we can start distorting it. Right. So after the mic pre, can we go back for sure, one second? Of the gain. He's talking about volume, input volume. Yes, in this input case. volume. So mm -hmm. think of it as like the burner on your gas stove. Sure, absolutely. The, the more absolutely. you turn it, the bigger it becomes. Absolutely. Okay. Right. And then it, then we cook it too fast, or we don't cook it <laughs> right. enough. That's a great Ooh. comparison, Michael. <laughs> um, so so after the mic pre, depending on the interface um, that we're using, it's going to travel um, through a cable. Right, probably a USB cable versus inside of a little thing called a direct out, right? Yeah. And before it does that, it becomes digital, right? Because it has to be digital before it gets into the computer. Zeros and ones, right? So then, so then it enters the computer, right? And then we press input monitor or record arm on our track, right? And then we have the input side of, of the gain stage correct, right? Right. Then it starts output, right? And the first place that it starts output is all of your plugins. Right? So if you put any EQs or any compressors or any sort of processing or whatever it may be on, on, the, on the audio effects and logic or the inserts and Pro Tools or whatever it may be, that's the first place that it goes. Right? So I would ask, is it possible to clip a plugin, to put too much signal into the plugin and cause distortion? The que that's a great question, Doug. <laughs> the question I have is, I come from the analog world where you wanted to clip stuff by overdriving mm. because you got the harmonic. In some, pl in some places. Right. right? Uh, with a plug-in, it's just zeros and ones. So if you're mm. giving it too much input, you're crapping out the... If you're going to do it, it's safest to do it on the output chain where we're at. If you okay. drive it too hard on the input chain, that distortion, oh, I want some nice tape saturation, I it's want to overdrive it, whatever. If you do it on the input chain, you can never get it off. Right. right? It's burned on. And but it's we... not going to sound pretty like uh, analog overdrive right anyway correct okay i mean there are ones that simulate it right yeah. but i mean as but you, that's and, as you the, and i know that's mm -hmm. part of the design of the plug-in right 
as opposed to just feeding it too much level and on you. So it's so it's safe to do that on the output. Right. Right. Because we can always reverse that. We can right. also pull it back to make sure that we recorded it cleanly. Yeah. But yes, you can clip the plugins, and then let's say I put an EQ and then a compressor, and then my signal's one so after one other. after the other, and my signal's so hot going into the EQ that I'm getting the little light, and the little light's telling me that it's clipping, and then we, then that clipped distorted signal is now going into the compressor. And now we take the compressor and now we compress it so that it gets louder and that, and that distortion, obvious, yeah. right? And then it gets out to the fader and let's say it's the kick and it's got to be loud in the mix. And then we have this <laughs> happening the entire time and, and then expedite that one track to three, four, five, six, seven. You just scared the crap out of most of our audience. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty... And then we start getting crunchy. So let's go back to basic signal flow mm -hmm. and... Um, and gain staging. So let's take it back to the um, not to the preamp. Mm -hmm. Let so where do you want it to be? What is optimal? As far as level going into the computer, yeah. right? So me, I'm personally from the school of I like to record hot. Right. Now, that doesn't mean that I like to clip when I record, right? There'll be a lot of people that will give you a specific numerical value that says your meter when you're recording has to be exactly at this, right? I don't personally subscribe to that, right? What I like to say is as long as the meter is healthy, even getting up into the yellow a little bit, that's mm -hmm. okay with me, right? Um, when I'm dialing in a vocal, even a pro in a professional setting, I don't, I don't dial in the vocal to make sure that I'm not staring at the meter and making sure I'm listening to the character of the vocal mm -hmm. and how it's interacting with the mic pre and the compressor and whatever it is, even in the home setting. Um, so I'm getting the, the level nice and hot and healthy, right? Now I'm not gonna, certainly going to make sure that I don't clip it. If the level is not hot and healthy, you will end up with something called noise floor. Now the days of noise floor have decreased a lot yeah. since the analog days that Michael was talking about where you had tape hiss. Otherwise the vocal or the guitar amp would be buried in that kind of hiss and that kind of noise floor. Uh, but you also don't want to clip the track either. You want to be able to leave a little bit of room. Speaking right? of clipping, we're clipping now. Oh, no kidding. Look at that. Okay, sorry. So, anyway, um, so make sure that the meter is healthy. You can't have it too low because it will end up, end up getting buried in, in plug-in noise on the output, right? But not too loud as, as if we were clipping. So you need a nice healthy meter, but, but, but you can't have it too low or too high or the other. That's certainly the first kind of part of gain staging and making sure that your stuff, be it in a home studio or a professional studio, is getting recorded properly. So people get timid because they see a spike. They see a peak. Yeah. And a clip or just a peak in the meter? Just a peak in the meter That's where okay. it tips into the red for a split second. So they back it down, they back it down. And what they haven't taken into account are the dynamic differences in the passages of a piece of music. Absolutely. So now they go from a big chorus vocal down to a very intimate part mm -hmm. um, where the vocalist might not have enough mic skills to lean in and, and you know deliver that mm -hmm. intimacy. Um, back in my day, the Jurassic period, we actually had to worry about the noise <laughs> floor because the preamp had its own inherent noise. That was As sounded, did the tape. Yeah, mm -hmm. tape did, the console channel, everything had noise back then. Mm -hmm. Everything. Now, not so much. Well, not how, as much, no, definitely not as much. So there is still some, but not as much. How do you know when you're being too timid and too safe to avoid those peaks, like when you're just on a peak meter and you're just barely seeing it tip into the green at the bottom. That's a bit low, right? Okay. Uh, if you're just seeing it, barely seeing it, that, that, that's a bit low. And, and you'll be able to hear the detail of the recording as you boost up that level and as it goes in. All of a sudden, that microphone that you bought for $3,000 that you've been scared to put some healthy level into the DAW is probably going to sound like $2,000 better yeah. <laughs> than it was previously. Um, It'll also result in recordings that have less 
noise from the plugins on the output side, right? Because I'm, maybe you guys have experienced this before. You guys bounce your mix, and um, and then the, you press play, and the first thing you hear is right because there's a little bit of self noise coming from the yeah. plugin right there is noise in the digital domain it's easier to manage but there is noise right and making sure that we have proper signal and healthy signal going in there eliminates that I, I would just put oh. Dolby on it <laughs> but, but then you can pull out the high frequencies by accident if you're putting Dolby on it I was kidding <laughs> that was more for them okay by the way, I did totally off the subject, but semi-related. I went last week to hear um, Sgt. Pepper's in Atmos. I haven't heard that yet, the, the new remixed version? In Atmos, in a movie theater oh, wow, with the lights awesome. out. It was pretty incredible. That's awesome. Gotta say. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, so so that was that for, for the input side of things. Um, okay. You know, the, the output side of things as far as... I would imagine that a lot of you guys have probably bounced something out of Logic or out of Pro Tools or out of whichever DAW you're using, Ableton, Cubase, whatever. Um, and taking it to the car, and maybe it's way lower or it's way louder than you had it um, when it was in your DAW, which is something that you kind of uh, referenced earlier in, earlier in, uh, in the show. And there's a couple possibilities and, and reasons for that. So one would be <clears throat> a function called normalize. And a function called normalize is where you allow the DAW to tell you if whatever it is that you're bouncing is too loud or too quiet, right? Mm -hmm. If you keep normalize on in your DAW, right? And I'm sure you guys have seen this in your bounce menu and wonder what is normalize, right? That means if it sees a level that comes in that's nice and hot, even if it's not clipping, if it's too hot, if the computer thinks it's too hot, it'll drop it down. It'll drop it down. And then if it gets to a passage that's very quiet, like you had mentioned, it'll boost it up and try and compensate for the difference and, and try and like even it off, right? Once we have a good understanding of gate staging, that's nothing. That's something that we should never do, right? In the, in the, in the, in the scenario that you described, that could certainly have been one of the things that was happening where you submit you submit for um, something for taxi and your stuff is lower than everyone else's. It's maybe because you're normalized, it was too loud and then normalized knocked it down to underneath where everyone else's was, right? Um, the second thing uh, for your stuff being loud enough uh, to compete with everyone else's um, would probably just be making sure that you have a limiter on the master bus. All right, now, now, that, now everybody's master fader has, a, uh, has an insert on it. And if you were to put a limiter on that... They may not know what an insert is. Insert, okay. So um, everybody's master fader in your DAW session, there are places where you can put effects, right? Um, there's probably a series of gray bars next to it or a series of blue bars next to it. I saw somebody say, I love normalize. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like it makes things better. <laughs> um, so in, in an area where you can put effects or, 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 or things of that nature... So you'd want to make sure that, that you would have something called a limiter there so that it prevents clips, but that's also where we can make things loud, right? Um, and without getting overly technical about it, um, that's what the, uh, those competitive records are, are, are sounding like yeah. for the submissions and, and where a lot of people whose stuff is, is softer can really, um, can really improve. If you have a nice loud mix and you have a limiter on it, you can make it even louder. But if you use the normalize function, it could take you either way. Um, and it's... It's we get stuff that's way, way, way quieter than the other stuff. And the mm -hmm. fidelity's not there. The level's not there. Mm -hmm. And while you think, well, what's the big deal? Just turn around, you know, just turn up the volume if you're the A&R person or, or you're the music But they don't want to have to do that. Right. Exactly. The mm -hmm. There is a psychological negative, you know, association with 
that person was so dumb that they didn't give me the right levels. You know, nobody would ever cop to that, but I guarantee it happens. Yeah, it is, and not only that, but then it, it makes your stuff sound like it's not as competitive. Like if you were, if, if you guys were listening to the radio or listening to Spotify or on Apple Music and and streaming music, you guys are driving, you know, down the street or from wherever you're from, and you're listening to three or four or five songs, and the sixth song comes comes on and it's like way quieter. You're like, why is that quiet? Like you would be confused. I got to take in the back for a moment and be like, oh, I guess I got to turn it up. Yeah. And then the next song comes on and it boom. Yeah. Right, and then it peaks everything. Right, you're like, what? And then you're like, who was that song by? I didn't totally really like the fact. Like, like, it, yeah. it absolutely does. So the stuff has to remain competitive. Now, that's a whole different discussion. The whole loudness war. Right. I don't think that's well, not necessarily. I'm sure we'll get into it with, with the Q and A by the end of the show. Um, but that's not really the, really the time and place for that. But you you definitely want your stuff to be consistent. And a good way to to kind of reference that is to is to have a target. Right. Just put a song that you're targeting into your DAW. And take a listen to it. I, I would say a, a song of a similar genre. Yeah, because absolutely. Because you wouldn't take an acoustic singer-songwriter and try and compare mm -hmm. it to an EDM. Right. Well, it's a, a song that you're targeting, right? Because you yeah, know they right. always have the submissions that say, right. hey, we're looking for something that sounds like the Chainsmokers or Zed or whatever. Yeah. Then you would just import one of those records into your DAW and they just kind of make sure you're using that as a target. And then just hit the Zed button and it just makes everything sound like Zed. Right? <laughs> the Zed plugin. Yeah, I wish we had that. Um I made a note in my notes saying gain staging is the sweet spot between not enough level and too much level. Absolutely. A avoiding noise at the bottom of the spectrum uh, and, and distortion at the top. So it's yep. really not that complex in theory. Just understand that it's like turn up the burner on the stove, you know. Well, well, I think one thing that we can mention, guys, we talked about we talked about putting an SM57 on a guitar amp, right? Yeah. Which is probably a lot of what a lot of us do, right? But there are different levels of, of, of signal. That's a mic level signal, right? Right. But the signal that's coming out of the guitar, let's say we want to record that guitar direct, right? Right. That's not mic level, and we have to understand that that there's mic level, there's instrument level, right? So a guitar or a keyboard or some sort of some some sort of um, other piece of instrumentation that's going to be instrument level. It's louder than mic level, mm -hmm. but guess what? It's not as loud as mic as line le line level, right? Do so, you happen to have a direct box here? <laughs> so we do. So <laughs> so so that presents an issue. So if there's mic level and then instrument level and then line level, as far as like loudness of signals signals are concerned, a microphone goes into a mic pre and there's no problem there, right? But if you take an instrument level signal like a guitar, like if you take a guitar and you plug it straight into a mic pre, it's it's not going to work well, <laughs> okay? And it's not going to work well because it's instrument level. It's louder than mic level, so it's going to distort the, the mic pre very easily. The mic pre doesn't want something that's as loud as a guitar or as loud as a keyboard. It wants something just very small like a microphone, right? So if you gave it any volume boost it, on the input it, side, it, it's it going to clip up, right away. Right. So the solution is to get that instrument level signal back down to mic level. So that it can hit the mic pre, so it can hit the mic pre cleanly, and everybody kind of comes up together. Right. right. So the way that we do that is with a DI with a direct box, and we do have one sitting here. This is um, an old vintage one from from that we keep here, but from across the way uh, at Westlake. Uh, who knows how many amazing performances have been put through this. This in particular is a Demeter VTDB2. It's a big, thick tube DI mono. Like so. So what you do is anything that you put into this DI will exit mic level. Okay. Now you don't want to put speakers in it, right? Really hot stuff in there. But anything you put into this DI is going to exit mic level, which means we all know that mics, mic level stuff needs to go to a mic pre. 
right? So it always exits mic level, and it always exits what's called balanced, which means that it rejects interference from everything else. You want to explain the boost and unity buttons, sure. or, or am I getting ahead of you? Um, well, I mean, it might also might be a bit much here. So okay. more, more basic conceptual stuff, right? So let's say, now I plug the guitar into this DI, into the input that says input right there, guitar right there, and then I take the output, right? I take the output, and then I go into a mic pre. Now I'm putting mic level signal into a mic pre and that's proper gain staging instead of taking a guitar and wanting to record it direct and putting it right into the mic pre and i turn up the pre and it yeah which you which may have happened to you at home um, and it is also balanced like i said when it comes out of here um you can also take line level signals that have already hit a mic pre and put them here right yeah. like um or you can like maybe out of a sound module or so, somewhere else from anywhere else in your in your setup that you can knock that down into mic level here let's say you have if you have a nice mic pre and then you can warm it up through these nice tubes and then have it hit the mic pre, and it's going to increase the, the recording. Because if you take an instrument level signal, again, if you put it in a mic pre, it's going to be too loud. But if you take an instrument level signal and you put it into a line level input, that's also not acceptable because then it's going to be noisy. The line level signal wants something loud, but the instrument's softer, so it's going to be. How can you explain noisy. this in layman's terms? Because probably 30% of our audience is following along, and 70% sure. of them are not. Um, well, 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 well then we'll then we'll explain that part again. Okay. So maybe we can think about it like um, like water. Okay. Okay. So let's say if we if we had a mic level signal or, or instrument level signal, we're trying to put it into a mic pre. It's too much water and it overflows, right? But then we take a guitar and 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 that and that's instrument level signal. We're trying to put it into a line level input, and then it's just barely a drop in the bucket, right? Okay. It wants more. It wants more. So the DI is the way to make sure that all the water is even. Just with the flick of a switch or the input that right. you use, depending mm -hmm. on the direct box. Right. Yeah. Okay. And there was yeah. a switch on this particular one to boost the gain if you so desired. Right. So you're with us so far? Mm -hmm. um, because it really, this stuff really matters. Here, like, here's, like, here's the important thing. Michael, is that if, let's say, everything that I just said, oh, the, Doug told me about this DI, and I, I do a lot of guitar recording at home, but, you know, normally I just plug it into my interface, and, and I think it comes out okay, right? That's never going to make, that's never going to create the kind of recording that has a fidelity that's going to be able to compete for placement, right? Right. So music supervisors, while they may not understand what a mic pre is, right, will, um, will listen to something and say, okay, there's distortion in this, I can't use it. It's not their responsibility to know why there's distortion in it or why, why it sounds noisy. It's our responsibility to make sure that, that we take the proper care into that great guitar part that we wrote and to record it properly. We get stuff from members that the screeners will say, um, I hear distorting. And the members go, no, I'm listening back to it at home, and it doesn't sound distorted. But they blew their gain staging in all likelihood um, when, when they were bouncing it. Maybe, maybe when they were bouncing it yeah. or when they were recording it, Michael, because, it, because if, the, if the mic pre is turned up too hot, then it could have been distorted going in. And then, then they would hear that on playback. Maybe. Well, it, I'm, I'm giving them the benefit of the sure. saying that they would hear that mm -hmm. on playback. So... We get that, you know, fairly often where people get really upset with us when the screener hears it distorting. Mm -hmm. And we'll even go to the trouble of tracking down the exact pair of headphones that the screener used and listen to it on that same um, computer. Sometimes it could be that the audio file online somehow got corrupted. But usually when an audio file yeah, gets corrupted, rare. it just won't play. Yeah. So, you know, it's not like it, it 
it gets distorted so much on the audio file. But uh, I think that that a lot of that those problems are caused by lack of even paying attention to gain staging. Sure, it just sounds so technical, and people are like, "Oh, you know, it's like one more thing to worry about." It is one more thing to worry about, right? But, but the, the the sooner that we embrace that thing to worry about, the sooner that we can fix it. And that's why it should be the first thing yeah. that you understand, because all the other stuff that you learn by going on YouTube or Gear Sluts or talking to friends on the Taxi Forum, everything else in the recording chain doesn't amount to a hill of beans if you've blown it with gain stage right. on the input side. That's correct. So Right. That's correct. So we want to make sure that we're, we're adding an appropriate amount of gain on the mic pre. We want to make sure that the meter is nice and hot going in, not clipping and not too low, regardless of if it's an analog or a digital uh, recording. Right. right. Um, and after that's all said and done, then we start dealing with how much we're putting into the plugins. Right. So if we so so if we're putting too much of our vocal or guitar into the plugin and we're getting the clip meter, we have to like pull down the level of that plugin a little bit. There's always a fader in the plugin somewhere. Either it's a knob or it's a fader. Right. For like input or for output. We want to make sure that we're not clipping those plugins on the output. Now if the signal's too low, then it's going to get noisy. Well, how do they know if they're going out of? Let's say we're recording a guitar again, mm -hmm. and they're going through um, a tape loop effect, some sort of loopy, yeah. digitally... From a thing. pedal or something? Yeah. Uh, well, no, not in no. a pedal. No, I'm talking about plug-ins. Oh, okay. okay. Gotcha. So they're, they're using a compressor. How do they know if they should bring the level up coming out of the first one or the um, input mm. down in the second one. How did that's going to be where... vi that's going to be visual, right? So you'll be able to look at the plugin, or you'll be able to look at the meter. You'll be able to look at something, right? Now, chances are you may, you may be able to hear it. You may not be able to hear it, depending where you're at in your production kind of chops. Um, but if you see a bunch of red, is <laughs> kind of the, the number right. one the number one example. Then then that's something to watch out for. If you barely see any any metering happening at all, that's also something to watch out for as well. You're like, is it this plugin's on, but it doesn't sound like it's doing anything, or so or I can't see. Is lighting up it. red and the you one that's it following it is barely you've got a serious gain right. staging problem correct um, tell them what unity gain is okay so unity gain is not raising or lowering any sort of gain in any way in any shape or fashion it's just whatever you're recording is straight in and straight out there's no boosting gain there's no lowering of gain so um in, a, in the principle of recording, you know, the, there's how do I explain this without being overly technical? So yeah, and in one sentence. And in one sentence. <laughs> so the so the principle of recording means that um, we're adding like resistance, so you're not putting so much vocal into something, right? Okay. And so as I turn something up or raise something, I'm like decreasing that amount of water. So as I raise and open open up the gate, more water is coming through. Okay. Right. If it's too small, the water's just going to drip through. If it's too if, if it's too if it's too large, the water's going to blast through. So, <clears throat> think of it in the sense of. How about you've got the the water input on one side of the bucket, uh, the water coming in the top of the bucket, and the water draining out of the bucket. Unity gain is the water level stays the same because the inflow. I think that's a good way to put Inflow it. and outflow mm -hmm. are equal. So unity, unity gain, okay. So for for the technical side, yeah. unity gain is neither neither amplification or resistance. Right. That's the technical definition of unity unity gain. It's not amplification. It's not resistance. Right. Um, lowering lowering is lowering it is resistance. Raising it is amplification. So unity gain means 
like it, the master fader needs to stay at zero dB. Zero dB is is nine times out of ten unity gain. Start out every right? session, everything and you do. Zero, check that master fader. Make sure that sucker's right. at zero. It's zero dB. So the only time that that should be again adjusted is during a fade out. So I suppose that I mean, does that answer it or no? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not boosting. It's not cutting. It's leaving it kind of kind of flat if you will. It's kind of a good test of how your gain structure is. If uh, somebody just wrote me an email the other day about this and, and thanked me for this, but apparently at some point in Taxi TV I said, it's always a good idea that after you're done recording and you want to do a rough mix, just to see where all your parts are, sure. just yeah, to yeah. throw it all up. I would walk in the control room and set all my faders to zero, mm -hmm. set my master to zero and hit play. Okay. And if I did a good job as a recording engineer, mm -hmm. it would be in the ballpark, not refined. I can agree with that. Yeah, you know, can, not refined, but in the ballpark. Yeah. And so that technically is Unity gain, mm -hmm. um, at least on the playback side, because right. all the ma or all the channel faders are at zero and the master fader is at zero. So there's a simple layperson's explanation mm -hmm. of it. Um, Let's talk about, uh, now we're, I'm going to get a little technical, linearity. Uh, I, and I don't know enough about this to speak intelligently about it, so I'm going to put it in the form of a question. Back in my day, in the world of analog, um, things weren't linear. They were on a curve. So if you wanted something, if you were going to boost on the input side, let's say, mm -hmm. to get more distortion because okay. you wanted it. Um, there was a point on that input curve, I guess I should go this way, point on the input curve where you would reach that point and you would hear the distortion sure. start to happen. Does that happen in the digital realm or not? Because digital is zeros or ones. Not really, to be honest. Um, what you're going to have is it, you're going to have it to a point and it's going to get louder and louder and louder to a point and then it's going to hit zero dB full scale right fs meaning mean like the full scale meaning like you can't go any hotter than this otherwise it's going to distort um there's no gradual distortion which is i think what, what you're getting at yeah. right you're talking about gradual distortion there's yeah. not really gradual distortion unless we're adding it with a plugin right right um, if, I, if i'm just recording it in the digital domain and i turn it up too hot for the pre it, as soon as it hits it it clips that's right? my point there's not a gradual like oh that's some nice saturation so you know i can kind of that's do that exactly my point yeah. because people it's a hangover from the days of analog where you pushed your volume to tape because it sounded good to a point to a point you pushed your your input level i shouldn't say volume you pushed your level um maybe on a mic pre maybe on the channel strip there are various places within the gain structure mm -hmm that depending on what you were going for and which mic you used and which console you used, all that stuff, you intuitively knew with enough experience where to push the gain staging mm -hmm. to get that distorted effect. So that has carried over into the digital realm and people think more is good. And it's not. No, it's not. It's not unless we're doing that on the output, right, with a plugin and we decide to put a plugin on it and we want to gradually increase it like um basic example would be like in Pro Tools the Lo Fi plugin. Right. right, the lo-fi plugin it lives in um, harmonic in the, for for the inserts. Right, if you go to insert the lo-fi and you go to a preset called tape saturation, right, that mimics driving in driving into an analog tape machine. Right, but that's done on the output. Right. right, on the input, if you turn it up, if you turn up the mic free too high and you clip it, you just clip it. Right. Yeah. There's not going to be a gradual desirable distortion. And it's not good clipping. No, it's not good clipping. <laughs> <laughs> it's not good clipping. All right. Um, 
so we've discussed linearity. Uh, by the way, for those of you who are, are relatively new to recording, the top uh, of the bucket <laughs> of water is called headroom. How far you can go before you spill sure. over. Yeah. The bottom is called the bottom of the well. <laughs> well, the um, if we were using the water analogy. Yeah. Um, but noise floor? Yeah, noise floor. Thank you. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So the, a bucket where there's no water accumulating, uh, you've reached the noise floor because you can see the bottom of the bucket. Right. So the water in the bottom of the bucket... Are and if we, could, if we could see the bottom of the bucket, it's going to be noisy. Right. right. Not as much as in the analog days, but it will still have noise. So, and then when you get close to overflowing the bucket, then you've got a problem as right. well. So you want to keep it... My, my very Lasco-esque way of doing things <laughs> back in the day was... I'd walk into any console, any room, any preamp, any anything, and basically I would turn the mic pre-knob up to somewhere between 10 o'clock and 1 o'clock. Hmm. The input fader at zero. at zero. And usually if my mic was placed correctly, padded or not padded, whatever, if I understood my gain structure well, I would usually be very much in the ballpark. Sure. In that 10 o'clock to 1 o'clock if, if you need to finesse it a little bit, then you can finesse it a little right. bit from there. But yeah, yeah. that'll be healthy going. Uh, yeah, like a good, healthy starting point. Yeah, it's that's definitely really, what we want. A good, healthy starting point. Really important. That's maybe the most important thing we say all day is understanding what that good, healthy starting point is. Because again, mm -hmm. you don't want too little. You right. see the bottom of the bucket, you've got the noise full. And I want to make a point that you can't be afraid of it. You had touched on that, that fear right. a little bit before, right? Yeah. A fear, like the fear of recording hot enough. If that, if that meter is very low, by the time it gets to the output, it's going to be noisy, right? Yeah. So you have... Even, if you're really scared of it, just use an exercise where you're just playing some sort of throw, call it guitar, right, or vocals. Just some sort of throwaway song that, you, that you're not trying to really record properly. You're just like, I need to take this song and just experiment with recording it nice and hot. I don't care what the recording sounds like, but I need to be able to, to experiment, right? So you turn it up louder and louder and louder, quieter and quieter, and you kind of play the passage three or four times at different points, right? That way the objective of that session is not to get a great recording is to experiment to know how to get a great recording. Right. Right. I could certainly recommend that. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. You and I have spoken about this before. When you work in a pro studio environment, um, I was just speaking to Al uh, before who owns this place that um, in a pro studio environment, you got that experimentation time. Mm -hmm. Everybody goes home and you're the assistant engineer. You were mm -hmm. allowed to sit down at the console mm -hmm. and experiment these things and learn about it. I think today people are so focused because everything is made so easy vis-a-vis yeah. -vis plugins and you know automation in a laptop uh, or in the software which is contained in a laptop that everything is so easy that people don't take the time to learn the um, the physics of recording and the rudiments of, mm -hmm. of audio, which is yeah you can watch a YouTube about it you can read something in a book but and nothing be sitting down and and that, and that makes it harder to compete. When, yeah. you, when you don't put yourself through those paces. If you put yourself through those paces and, you, and, and experiment with recording, and experiment with getting better tones from the vocal or the guitar or whatever it is, yeah. right, it will be easier to compete for, for your placements. Uh, we hear vocals. Two things that I hear a lot of, uh, 
and I think it has a lot to do with gain staging and people just don't understand. We hear vocals that are really thin. So it's like, I've got a $300 condenser microphone. How can it sound thin? Well, either you're singing into the wrong side of the microphone. <laughs> it happens. Um, or it could be that your gain is so ridiculously low that you're getting no fidelity because the electronics that are normally working for you right. aren't. Right, and that's what we were talking about, turning up that mic pretty loud enough to get that good signal, right? Yeah. Now, a third variable could be if there's a big roll-off on the microphone, right? Or if the microphone is not very sensitive to low, to low mid frequencies or low frequencies. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're not getting the full sonic texture or picture of the microphone if you're not giving it enough gain on the mic free. It's kind of like having a, a really great engine in a car. Mm -hmm. And if all you do, let, let's say you go buy a Maserati and all you do is drive around in like sixth gear with the gas pedal only depressed a quarter of an inch. Sure. Versus... Um, putting the gas pedal down two-thirds of the way in second gear. Mm -hmm. It's a completely different car under those two circumstances. Absolutely agree. So think about it. Yeah, it's like a... Like a like yeah, it's and a car. It's a, right? it's a and, Maserati. And, may, and, and making sure that, that we're nurturing that vocal performance. Nurturing that vocal performance by, by understanding that we have to be able to approach recording it in, in an efficient way. Again, it doesn't have, you don't have to be a, a master whiz engineer, but just making sure that you're efficient. And if you invest in a microphone, making sure that you're, that you're getting out of it what you paid for it, right? And not being afraid to turn that level up a little bit. Until you see a clip, and then in which case, bring it back down. Um, let's talk about modeling for a moment. Uh, I made a note in here about... Um, different plugins that model different microphones or maybe model different guitar okay. amps and yep. they model the characteristics they sit down and they do an analysis a scientific digital analysis of waveforms yes, and what have you and they try and emulate that through um, uh, algorithms that say okay if you have x coming in then y goes out mm -hmm. and this is what the computer does in the middle um, if modeling is done properly uh, Will most of them exhibit the same same nonlinear behavior that we were talking about before on the mm. curve? The distort, you know, like you keep boosting and going, ooh, that sounds like the sweet spot for distortion. Mm. I don't really understand how plugins handle their modeling as it relates to input gain, if you will. Right. I mean, I think that you have a better shot at reaching something linear with a plugin. Okay. Right. Remember, like we we're talking about, with just recording something, going straight in on the input, yeah. you clip it, you clip it. There's, okay. there's nothing gradual, right? But you do have a chance um, to, to get something a little bit more linear. Like, let's say you're using the virtual microphone system by Slate Digital, right? Okay. So Slate's a, a partner of ours, and we use and, and we use their stuff here at the school. Um, so what that does is it's a microphone with a very flat frequency response. So it doesn't enhance anything. It doesn't sully anything. It keeps everything flat. And then we use a plug-in to kind of model all these classic vintage microphones. I see 800, I see 12, 251, all these old classic microphones, right? Mm -hmm. So if I were to sing into a classic microphone, and the, the, more, the harder I would hit the microphone, the more a bit of analog distortion I would get, right? So that's a little bit easier to do in that case 
right mm-hmm. is increasing what would be i guess the drive into the microphone or into the or into the to the guitar modeling um to to have it break up right to a point right but remember the really important thing to remember is that the signal was already recorded cleanly first before i'm doing that mm-hmm. right if it's distorting on the way in then all then all is lost and what we're doing right now doesn't even matter right right can't put lipstick on a pig right so <laughs> if it's recorded cleanly then we can use that stuff and we can use different plugins to kind of get some gradual saturation or gradual distortion we can we can certainly do that then, then it, how it reacts is going to be dependent on the plugin and what it's written to behave like and, and what it's supposed to mimic and etc uh, kind of related what's your general feeling about modeling plugins um, I, I know that nothing will ever sound as good as the real deal, but I've heard some that I was just pretty astonished. Some of the, yeah, like some of the 1176 plugins sure. that are out there, mm. even if they don't sound exactly like an 1176, you know, a real yeah. like real vintage 11, not even a knockoff. Um, they still sound pretty freaking good. I think that I, I think that as long as I think that we need to change our frame of reference. If because I love an eleven seventy six as much as anyone, right? It's my favorite compressor. So if I put an eleven seventy six compressor onto something, right, um, in the digital realm of the plug-in version, as long as you don't expect for it to sound just like an eleven seventy six. Which it's very liberating in the minds. You right? have to have been it's exposed very, to one to right? know what it sounded right. like. Right, it, it's very liberating to yeah. be to, to not expect an eleven seventy six when you put an eleven seventy six plugin onto something. Um, that being said, is it going to sound good? Well, yeah, it's going to sound good as long as the plugin you know is written well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but as long as you don't expect for it to be a clone of the original eleven seventy six, you just expect for it to sound good and for it to function and for it to do what you tell it to do then I think that you'll be more pleased with your results. If you want a real sound of an 1176, there's only really one way to do it, right? Um, but that being said, with your plugins that, that mimic vintage compressors, just just take yourself out of the frame of reference of I'm using this exact compressor. And most I just people, want it to sound good. Most people will never hear a real 1176. That, mo- most okay. homebound recorders won't. That, and, and that's okay. Yeah, it is. Uh, there aren't that many of them out there in the world that, that are affordable for most home studio owners. That's right. Um, as, as long as we don't expect it to be a real 1176, then we're going to be okay. When I think about how many incredible pieces of gear in my career that sometimes it was simple as the light bulb and the meter went out yeah. and I'd call maintenance and I'd just unplug it and shove it over there in a corner. It would mm. sit there collecting dust for like two <laughs> years afterwards. I, I just cringe now. Well, I wouldn't <laughs> give to have some of those back. Um, Let's see. Can you explain? Got that covered. I'm, I'm just going down a list of questions somebody else gave me to ask about the stuff, and then we'll move on to getting questions. For, oh, domino effect. Yeah. Uh, we talked about that at the beginning of the show, but um, can we talk about that a little further? So let's create a horribly, a horribly bad game staging scenario and how the, it's cumulative and yeah, of course. creates this domino effect all the way down the line. So you can have a disaster, and that's what makes that vocal sound horribly thin, sure. horribly distorted. Let's say, let's say it's a vocal and we turn up too much on the mic pre, right? Okay. And we have digital distortion going in, but we ignore it, right? Because we're not technical people, right? right. Can't think like that, but we ignore it. So then we record the, the lead vocal, and then we go on and we start stacking background vocals. So I 
So I put a, you know, a two stack in the verse and a four stack in the hook. And then I put harmonies on top of it. And maybe I got two or four of those and et cetera. So each time I'm stacking a vocal and putting more vocal tracks in, I'm introducing more and more distortion, right? Now, after you're finished, you might be like, okay, it's kind of distorted, but it's not that bad, which is never okay, by the way, <laughs> right? So now, now let's mix it and submit it for, for placement, right? So right. now I start putting that distorted signal through plugins. And I start putting that distorted signal through plugins and the distortion gets increased, especially with a compressor. And then I hit an EQ and then the EQ distorts it even further. And then I mix it up loud because it's the lead vocal. So then what, what started with a bit of distortion has now grown into this much distortion and I end up with a product that isn't listenable. And you would probably think if you didn't know better that it was just one thing and not understand where in the chain that yeah. one thing was. And how probably, early it was happening. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you've got to undo five steps to get back to right. that and be smart enough to, to do the detective work of going backwards to uncover that. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to cry because you put all that time and effort into it and mm -hmm. it sucks. Um, God, we've covered a lot of ground and not a whole lot of time. Um, that's okay. Yeah, uh, we can do a lot of Q&A, that's for sure. sure. We've still got like 45 minutes left. Um, let's take, the, this one was actually given to me by uh, Peter Petro, who uh, is the admissions director mm -hmm. here, right? Um, is this the most common problem with subpar recordings at home, meaning gain staging isn't correct? Or is this the biggest pitfall trying to recreate professional recordings at home? So um, I, I know you live in a fairly rarefied world being around here at Westlake yeah. Studios and, and you have a very professional... But I've done plenty of home recording as well. I mean, you know, I've, I've been on all sides. So is this the like the number one mistake you hear? Um, as far as going in, absolutely. As far as like... If, if I'm going if I'm going to sing or if I'm going to play a guitar and it's distorted going in that's you know, you know people always say you had one job yeah <laughs> right the one job when you're recording from the technical aspect is to make sure that it's not distorted or too quiet going in that's your gain staging is your one job you had one job so don't blow it right um, if you do then again it's going to be either noisy if it's too low and then you're gonna have a noisy recording or it's gonna be distorted if it's too hot so I mean that's the one task when you're recording at home to make sure that it's right taking that piece of that song that you wrote for a year and a half or, the, or that guitar line that took you three guitar line that took you three weeks to write or whatever it is right and taking that thing that you cooked for so long and giving it the time of day to make sure that it's being recorded cleanly right after that it's all output stuff Right, but as far but as far as the input chain is, cons is concerned, you have one job, right? It's, and it's not that hard. It is not it, that hard. It's you really have, more about paying attention. attention. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's about paying attention. It really is. Yeah. You know, I know this sounds technical to those of you who are not technical, but really, if you're seeing red, stop. <laughs> you know, or if you're barely seeing green, right? Stop. Or if you're barely barely seeing green, yeah. You want to see it somewhere in that like two thirds green to yellow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, let's open this up. I think we. Oh, one thing I wanted to ask you about is when I first met you guys and became impressed with you. It, I think it was the twenty fourteen or fifteen road rally, and I went on your website, um, which is create spelled C R E number eight mm. musicacademy.com and, and all the different courses have really cool names that are a play on that. Yeah, and. So I made a note that you have, you've got one called the Activate course. Activate, yes. And, and tell me, or tell them why Activate or how Activate 
teaches them about things like Game Station. Because we have had taxi members that met you at the road rally and actually came back to we've Los Angeles. We've had lots of taxi people come to the program. And, and I've gotten great reviews. From, I'm not mm-hmm. just saying this because these guys write a check to sponsor the road rally. <laughs> Part of the reason that I love them and I come here is because I got feedback from our members. Look, we don't go out and just get any old sponsors for the road rally. Mm-hmm. Is, well, Peter would know this better than Doug, but... We actually see if there's a relationship to our members before we take somebody on as a sponsor. Because the last thing we want is a sponsor walking out of the rally going, I paid thousands of dollars and felt like I didn't get anything for it. Or the members turning up their nose you know, to the sponsors on, on mm-hmm. site at the rally. So we try to find a good fit so that we know the relationship's going to work. So once I knew that you guys were an extremely good fit and I started really checking out the website, I was like, oh, their approach to teaching is way different than a lot of the other schools, maybe all the other schools that I'd ever checked out. So what does um, Create do, or um, sorry, Activate, um, Activate do, Activate. as far as technical stuff like this? So the, the the courses are kind of split up, right? There'll, there'll be a, a creative course, right? And then there'll be a creatively technical course. And then there'll be another creative course, and then there'll be a creatively technical course, right? Because, again, we have to be responsible for both sides of, of that as a record producer. Can for, you give an the, example? I will. Okay. For the creative side and, and, and for the um, for the technical side. Um, so on the on the creatively technical side, like Activate, um, it basically teaches an individual to be comfortable in their own studio behind the computer, okay. right? Now, a lot more goes into that than just one sentence, right? So basically, it, it has to do with understanding logic and Pro Tools, right? And microphones are a big thing of that. Um, it also has to do with uh, project studios and understanding what you should be starting with in your own project studio because what you may start with and what your musical strengths are may be different than mine. So I should have a different initial investment than you. Depending on the genre of music? And no, depending, a, depending on, let, let's say you're a guitar player and I'm a piano player. Right. Right. Well, your studio is going to be customizing guitar-centric. Mine's going to be customized piano-centric. Right. right. That's not to say that you can't do one or the other, right? But your starting point is going to be different. Yeah. In that project studio, Studios discussion lies, and, and the microphone discussion lies gain staging, right? Mm-hmm. So the reason why it comes after a songwriting course, which is initiate the first course, right, is because we take that idea and we cook it, right, and we cook it in the first course. Okay. And now we have to talk about how to cleanly record it in the second course, and, ha- and how to be responsible for knowing how to automate the volume of the fader, right, or how to put a crossfade on a piece of audio so it doesn't. Right when playback when playback reaches it, and how to nurture that creativity that we spent on an entire course talking about writing, and how to actually make sure that we're using the microphones and the mic freeze and the dogs. That's a lot of stuff. How much time do you spend on this? Fifteen hours. Uh, um, Sorry, fifteen hours in activate. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, But you you preface that with the songwriting stuff first. Correct. Like, uh, we've all heard the expression before I use lipstick on a pig, a very common expression is uh, you can't polish a turd. Mm -hmm. So you could know everything there is to know about gain staging and choosing the right microphone and everything, but if your song sucks, the song is still going to suck. It'll it'll sound like a wonderfully recorded recorded bad song. (laughs) (laughs) Or polishing a turd. Right. (laughs) All right. Right. I think I've covered pretty much. Is there anything that you want to include that we haven't covered in the questions? Uh, not necessarily. You know, I would like to do a significant amount of Q and A because I know that there's, you know, there's a decent amount of people out there. I see them firing stuff off and chatting and everything. So, All right. know, I definitely think that we should speak to some of you guys and kind of, kind of just do what we can to kind of help you along in your recordings and, and et cetera. 
All right, guys, we've got 35 <clears throat> minutes of time, so um, hit them with Q&A on anything that's recorded or production. Yeah, really, any, it could be anything. I mean, I'll, we'll do the game staging center kind of once first and, and the more gear kind of ones first, but, I mean, we can, we can open it up a little bit to, to, to kind of a general everything, and that's certainly okay with me. What are your thoughts on summing amplifiers, and which ones would you recommend? Okay, so for you guys that don't know what um what a, what a summing mixer is, a summing mixer is something that essentially adds analog sound to a digital mix, right? So if you have five, six, seven, eight, nine, twelve, sixteen outputs of the interface, analog outputs, then the summing mixer will combine all of your instrumentation of vocals, right? So I put the vocal out one and the kick out two and the snare out three and the and the bass out four and the guitar out five. And it takes all of those and it combines them using analog wiring and circuitry, right? And sums them together. And then it takes the result of that and you re-record it back into the DAW. Okay. Right? Or to another medium or whatever it may be. Right? So I personally really enjoy them um, in order to add an analog element to a primarily digital mix. Um, <clears throat> that being said, uh, the Neve 5059 satellite is great. Um, the Shadow Hills Equinox is great. Um, they are not cheap pieces of gear, right? Give them an idea. Three to five grand. That's not cheap. Right? <laughs> um, but here's the thing. Don't buy a summing mixer if you don't have a nice mic pre. Mm -hmm. Right, because you want to make sure that, that it's that it's meets the professional threshold going in first. Right after that, then you can start looking at investments in the output. But it, the signal it has to be recorded at a professional level first before you worry about and five thousand dollars summing mixers. So we don't scare anybody. Um, Matt Vanderbilt is my favorite uh, example of this year. Uh, many of you guys watching the show know Matt from the Road Rally and from being involved in uh, the chat room on Taxi TV. The guy's got an iMac, couple of microphones, nothing fancy. He's got a $150 um, interface, the Focusrite Red, which for an inexpensive home interface, it's good solid piece of gear, but it's not going to sound like a $3,000 Avalon or whatever. So what he's got sounds really good because he's learned how to get the most out of it and he understands that what he's making are TV cues and not records. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to scare people away from... I don't want people to think that they've got to go buy uh, you know, a $5,000 summing amplifier and a $3,500 microphone to make a TV cue. On the other no. hand, if you're passionate about recording and production, uh, I see Mojo in the chat room. I know he's passionate mm. about this stuff. So he's the kind of guy that would go spend his last dollar on a piece of gear <laughs> sure. and really enjoy this because you can go buy oil paints that have one color uh, green and oil paints that are very expensive that have a much richer green. So. I'm going to do some rapid fire and, and, yeah. and, and kind of rapid fire answer some of these, right? Okay. Um, the board under the under the monitors is an avid artist mix. There, um, online courses. There are not online courses available, right? Uh, the car gets super. I have any super recording. I do not necessarily aim for minus 18 when I'm recording, as I was talking about. It's more about just getting a nice, healthy recording. You're going to get buried and lost in the details if you're trying to hit a specific number. Just make sure that the level level is nice and healthy. I give them a quick. Tutorial really quick on what minus 18 is. Oh, well, <clears throat> um, remind me. Okay. Uh, yes, it is strictly in logic, a logic and Pro Tools perspective. Those are the DAWs that are most common, commonly used at Wesley Recording Studios, so those are the ones that we use, right? Uh, the web address is CRE8, the number 8, CRE8 Music Academy. 
Um, okay, good. So minus eighteen. Yeah, minus eighteen. So if you again, beware of getting too buried in the micro. Look more at the macro. That being said, for the average home recordist <laughs> doing TV cues, this almost doesn't matter. For somebody who's passionate about recording, this matters. That that to be that being said, the fader or the meter that's in the DAW, right? There'll be little numbers moving up the side, and the one that one will say zero, it'll be towards the top, right? And then the, they'll they'll be numbers moving down, right, and getting higher. One of those numbers will say minus eighteen, right? And that's what that individual is referring to is should I be targeting exactly that minus eighteen when I'm recording, right? And, and, and my answer to that is not necessarily as long as you're not clipping and you're, and the, the level isn't too low. Don't feel like you have to restart an amazing performance or put yourself in such a headspace that you have to hit minus 18 that you sacrifice your performance. Right. All right. Excuse me. Just make sure that the level is hot and just but not clipping and make sure that it's not too low. Right. If you get stuck in trying to hit minus 18, your mind's going to go elsewhere and you're not going to get the you're not going to get the, uh, the performance. Somebody told me this analogy probably 35, 40 years ago and I was starting out and I was spending way too much time watching meters. And he said, yeah. he actually took three by five index cards and taped, taped them, them off. My, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He said, don't look at them. He yeah. said, painters don't paint with their ears and engineers shouldn't mix with their eyes. That's very true. And what a great lesson that was. It got to the point, anybody who has gotten familiar with their gear or become a pro level engineer knows you could probably walk into a room that you work in every day and with your eyes closed, preset almost everything on the console before anybody walked in to record a live band. Absolutely. And you'd be very much in the ballpark. Absolutely. Because you used your ears. Use your ears. <laughs> um, <clears throat> let's see here. Oh, they like your oil painting. <laughs> All right. Do you use the DI for electric and acoustic? Depends on the sound that you want, right? If you want a direct acoustic sound, you can certainly come out and hit the DI. Who wants a direct right. acoustic it, sound? That's it, a sin. It, it, it depends, on, <laughs> depends on if you want it. If, that, if that's what you're going for, then of course you can. Who would go for that? <laughs> don't. I'm, I'm telling not, you I'm not, not, I'm not going to stop any. I'm not going to stop anyone from doing that, right? I'm not going to stop. So if you want to do that, cool. Then you could absolutely do that. It just, the, the DI doesn't care if it's electric or acoustic. The, the DI just says whatever's coming in. All right, we're going down to mic level and then we're going out. And. Um, some acoustic guitars will have active electronics, yes, putting, will. and some will have you know ancient pickups from the '70s that uh, are, are passive. Do you want to hit the? Do you want to hit that level with the channel fader at zero dB, or is it only essential for the master to stay at zero? <clears throat> well, well. It depends. The master should always stay at zero. If you're in a con, if you're in a console environment, then you can have some wiggle room with that fader. The fader does not have to have to be stay at zero right. dB. In the console environment, the fader is used to finesse the level. So you get big adjustments, broad strokes with the mic pre, lots of water, right? <laughs> big big yeah. adjustments, small adjustments. But then let's say we got a nice healthy level, but just every once in a while we're we're clipping, right? Yeah. Well, then I can just go to the fader and just slightly lower it a little bit, right? And increase the resistance, yeah. right? Just slightly lower it a little bit, and then it's not going to be as loud. So you can certainly in the console environment, you can finesse and fine tune with the channel fader that's going into the DAW. Um, in the in the digital domain, it's pretty much, you know, unless you're hitting some sort of fader before you're going in, which I doubt. Um, then then it's just going to be watching the meter with the pre. Yeah, when I talked about zero, you know, starting things at zero, it's just a starting point. Um, mm. You know, it, it's a relative starting point, but it's a good relative starting point. <laughs> no, Michael. No, it's my show, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I, I had not heard of that mojo, but I'll check it out. Uh, okay, question. Do you think active DI boxes are better or passive DI boxes are okay for recording? I don't think it matters if it requires power or not. I think it matters what kind of sonics you get out of it. Right, I, I certainly wouldn't wouldn't limit that to active or passive in the same way that I wouldn't limit my monitor selection to active or passive. Right, as long as you understand what you're getting out of it, like you know, I love NS10s and I love them those passive NS10s because yeah. they sound poor, and it and it's hard to make them sound good. They right? work well in the context. Active, of that. Again, active speakers are a different kind of tool, so it's not necessarily about if it's an active or it's a passive DI. It's you know what kind of output and product and, and texture and tone and sound are you getting out of it, rather than if it's active or passive. Yeah, there are very few things in recording that are, you know, uh, works well in all scenarios. Mm -hmm. and, and that's part of the art of recording is learning what works for what kind of thing. And a good point would be uh, like recording a bass for a rock thing might sound better coming through a passive DI and doing it for a dance record might sound better coming out of an active Maybe. DI. Yeah, I'm, I'm just throwing as those out. As long as you're of, open to those kinds of things right. is what the objective is. right? Yeah. Just be open to saying, you know what? I never thought it would be right, but actually this passive DI sounds better than this active one, especially for this record. I'm going to use it. That's our responsibility as the record producer. To be yeah. able to say, no, I'm not just going to use it because I'm saying use an active. If it sounds better, it's better. Right. If it sounds good, it's good. Um, uh, waiting for another question. I see a lot of comments. I don't see a lot of questions just yet. What headphones do you like with home recordings? We use AKGs back in the day in LA. Um, you know, there's a, with headphones, you don't really want to necessarily look at price. You want to look at the frequency response. Now, headphones by nature are very, very curvy. So they got boosts in the in, in the low mid and the low, and then cuts in the highs and etc. And they're very kind of curvy and they're difficult to manage. That being said, you want to look at headphones that have the flattest frequency response possible. I know the ones that are very common around our studios and around Los Angeles are um, Sony MDR 7506s. Again, the Sony MDR 7506s, and that's because they're relatively, relatively speaking, they're flat mm -hmm. for headphones, right? Which are curvy by nature, yeah. right? They're flat for headphones. I know Sennheiser 660 or 50, I can't remember the exact, the exact model number there. They make another flat headphone. But when you're looking for headphones, you want them with the flattest frequency response possible. When you get into all this big kind of curvy frequency response charts is when it kind of starts smearing things. Um, and then when you take it out, the mix out to the car or to your stereo system or to whatever you want to listen to, um, that's when things don't translate. And you're like, I didn't have the kick that loud. I don't understand what's happening. We it's get members that. asking if, uh, which headphones we use at the office because they want to check their mixes on the same headphones before they start. And they're just $55 Sony MDR somethings. And well, the MDR 7506s that I mentioned are just 100 bucks. Yeah, so they're, they're not they're not crazy expensive and no and I have no relationship with Sony. I'm I'm, I'm not saying that's a, any sort of plug. It's just that, you know, they're fairly flat and they're really common around LA. And when somebody steals them, like we, that's the reason we went with these, is they sounded middle of the road and people were jacking them from, from the office all mm -hmm. the time. Screeners would take them home. I don't know why. Uh, I got one. Has Create jumped into the Slate virtual mic locker yet? And yes, we have, right? And? Um, so, as a matter of fact, I, I wrote the feature for the July Music Connection that's coming out based on recording. And I do mention my experience um, that, that I had with the Slate VMS yeah. uh, that we still have here on campus. So, and it's like a partner of ours. So, to my ear, to my personal ear, um, it very, very accurately recreates the Sony C800G. Okay. Right? The other microphones still sound very good. 
no doubt about it. But to my ear, it's a, it, it sounds like a C800. And right. I've personally A beat it against Westlake's C800, right? Yeah. And the differences are negligible, right? Um, it is a, it's a great recording at, obviously, the fraction of a price. A Sony C800G, we just call it a C800, you know. A C800 is anywhere between 9, 10, 11 grand. Yeah. You know, and the Slate VMS system is 1,000, I think, 1,000, something like that. So um, from my personal experience with it, the C800 sounds the best. Um, the C800 is the mic that's got the air cool system on it. Or whatever yeah, the, it is. yes, that's yeah, correct. It's like a radiator. That, on it. That's correct. It's a it's a heat sink and it's a counterbalance and it's also a counterweight. Oh, really? Because I it's think... a heavy microphone. Yeah, it's a heavy microphone. Love it. I've used it on many, 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 many recordings over the decades, professional level stuff. Um, on big name artists that we all listen to and love. Um, and it just and it's, it's an exceptional microphone. There's nothing like having the real thing, but the Slate the Slate VMS C800. And there's two versions of the C800 in the Slate VMS. There's one from the '90s, and there's a contemporary one. Um, they both sound very very accurate. Um, Stephen Slate needs to come to the Slate needs to come to the Road Rally. Yeah, I, I tried to get a hold of him, and our members would eat their stuff up. I'm, well, maybe I can see what I can do for you. Would you? Yeah. Seriously, because I, I look at their stuff and go, our members would love this. In particular, the drum sounds, guys. The drum sounds, I'm sure that you guys would all love the drum sounds, and, and they got some great plugins as well. So um, I'll speak to Slate for you. Thank you. Um, uh, any other question? Uh, oh, we got that one already. Okay, 11 new messages down here. I think there was one right here where an individual said that um, the 7506s are not flats. And that's correct. They're not flat. They're flat for headphones. Yeah, right. So you have to understand that headphones are curvy by nature. I don't have a pair here. But by nature, headphones are all over the place. And Do relatively you know? speaking, head, the, the, the 7506s are flat. Do you know that your ear shape actually has a dramatic effect that uh, on a headphone? No, I didn't. How your ear fits inside the cup on a sealed uh, sealed cup mm -hmm. headphone makes a huge difference. Hmm. I didn't know that, but somebody told me that once. Who interesting? Yeah, I think somebody from AKG told me that actually. Um, oh, what were the remember the buyer the white buyer dynamics that everybody had? You're probably not old enough. But I don't think so. <laughs> there was a period from like 1969 or 70 mm -hmm. until probably 1980. 82 to 85 somewhere in that window where the standard microphone standard um, headphones in every pro studio were buyer dynamic mm. and they were white and they they were great sure. they were indestructible and they sounded pretty darn good but didn't color much um, let's see Fostex t20rps yeah, all you guys need to email Slate and say, come on, Steve. <laughs> uh, so you have to find phones that work for your ears. Uh, Slate fan. Look at that. We got Slate fans showing up. I mean, I, I'll reach out. I promise. Um, if we get Slate, if you get Slate to come to the Road Rally as a sponsor, can you coordinate with them and teach something that you teach just using maybe some of their gear yeah of course i mean I, I think that we can certainly do a bit of a seminar with with slate like, is that what we're talking about like maybe yeah. doing maybe putting a, a spotlight on something that we teach and incorporating all the slate stuff and maybe having some of the slate guys out for it yeah yeah i think that would be i don't want to make too many promises live on the internet and then nothing ever happens right but but, well, <laughs> but but well i promise that we'll go spin and, and i'll reach out and, and we'll see where it goes right 
I uh, see a lot of young engineers confused about impedance. Can you explain sure. the difference between high Z well, and low Z? It's resistance, yeah. right? It's resistance. So, like, if if you wanted a, a low resistance to record a guitar, that would be better because the level of electricity, the instrument level signal coming in is quieter than, like, line level electricity that we talked about. So when you think about impedance, think about resistance. If you have high Z, that's lots of, of, of resistance, right? If it's low Z, it's a little bit. Let's go back to the water bucket analogy. Okay. Explain it, explain it in terms of water, um, what high Z would be versus low Z with the bucket. So high Z would be a small, okay, let me spin it back around. <laughs> so it's hard to put that one into water. I, I'm thinking similar. smaller hole at the top of the, or smaller hole coming into the bucket. Sure, so smaller hole coming into the bucket. I right. like that. that, that that's Less a good, stuff that's a is going to get in, more right. resistance, right? Yeah. Mm. Okay. That, that's a good that's a good way to put it. I was All having right. trouble with that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so write that down. Hole in the bucket. <laughs> if you're using the bucket analogy and you've got a hose feeding the bucket, let's say, through a hole in there. There you go. I'm looking for a container. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> so if this is your bucket and the hole is relatively small, that's high Z, a lot of resistance. But if you've got a bigger hole, more water's gonna be allowed to rush right. in, that's low Z. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to have to use that later in class. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stealing that one, Michael. <laughs> Think of hoses of different diameters. There you go. Uh, wow, Slate has all their incredible software for $15 a month. Mm -hmm. Cheap thrill. Uh, any other questions, or should we call it a day? Have we answered every single question you guys could possibly have? It's a hose of a different color. Ha <laughs> ha. Love it, Peter. <laughs> all right uh as soon as i say well then let's wrap it up all of a sudden we'll get a bunch of That's questions okay. either way <laughs> gloria says great analogy thank you gloria um oh uh urshel uh, had a, this question before and i wrote it down didn't answer it yet i'm getting 8.0 average on my engineering 7.8 on production on my submissions is that good enough quality you know, uh, as it says at the bottom of the critique form or on the back of it somewhere, it, it's relative. It's subjective. It just means that, yeah, you're doing pretty darn well. But just know that in today's world, uh, you can get a forward from Taxi if you record a lo-fi singer-songwriter thing with nothing more than a guitar and vocal. You could hypothetically, you could actually do it. Uh, in GarageBand using the built-in mic in your computer and if you were to position that well enough you could probably get a recording that would work really well for that. Uh, on the flip side of that there are other instances where you want incredible fidelity so they're both right for the circumstance. It's all about sure. context. So I can't just say that if, you, if you're getting 7.8s and 8s, first of all we don't forward or return based on those numbers. Those are just a way for the screeners to go, pretty darn good. You've got a grip on that, or you don't. You know, if you're getting fours or fives, it's like you need some work in that area. Uh, Neil McTavish, a, a resident Canadian. How's it going, eh? <laughs> Hi, Neil. How are you, buddy? Um, I guess we have a lot of Canadians in there. <laughs> See a lot of people going, hey. Uh, no, <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, 
Right, as Dean says, I mean Dean Crepane, it's not the ear, or it's not the gear, it's the ear. Sure. Um, all right, we've now d digressed into jokes about Canadians. <laughs> so with that, let's wrap it up. Um, I, I really appreciate you doing this because um, everything else in, in the chain, I mean down the chain of, of recording and production, it all starts with a song. But you can kill a good song if the gain staging isn't right. Absolutely. And we should do another show someday. Can can you and I do a show actually in a control room or somewhere where we can do mixing stuff? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we can certainly arrange that. A, a lot of times people ask me like what I start out with when I mix. Well, it's been a lo really long time. Like you might not have been born when I was still mixing. <laughs> <laughs> I got some gray, man. I don't know. I mean. Yeah, well, the, it was a long time ago. But, you know, I had my particular way that I worked, and a lot of that was based on what I learned from the other people I worked around, mm -hmm. which was essentially bring up the kick and bring up the bass and get mm -hmm. those two things working together, and then everything else kind of fell into place after that. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure that it's different now, and so I, I want to do a show on mixing with somebody that's um, younger, hipper, and more about today's stuff. I'm, sure, I'm, of I'm course. old school. Um, all right. With that, uh, let's say goodbye. Everybody saying thank you. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you very much, guys. It's been a pleasure sitting with you again, and uh, hopefully we can do it soon. I would love to do another one. And, and please, um, go see... Uh, I'm assuming you guys are coming back to the road. Oh, of course, of course, of course, of course. Of course, of course. <laughs> Any class that Doug Fenske teaches mm -hmm. has got to be great. Seriously, I hold this guy in very, very high regard because not everybody... It, some people know the tech but can't explain the tech. He can explain the tech, and that's really important. So thank you. I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you for doing Absolutely. the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you to the good folks at Create Music Academy for having me down here. And before I sign off, can I hold one of Yep, absolutely. Subscribe and like. <laughs> and we will see you guys next week. I can't remember what I'm doing next week, but I know that two weeks from now we're doing the, the live show in Chuck Henry's studio here in Hollywood, and he's going to, I think they do hip-hop tracks. So there you go. We will see you guys next week for another really, really, really exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Bye, you guys.